0: on the show, they bring together the best and brightest minds to share with you how to have a more confident financial picture. They empower listeners with simple, common sense, and financial wisdom. And now, here are your hosts from LPF Advisors.
1: Hey, I want to welcome everybody to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors. I am your host, Chris Fleming, here as always. And today, I have the honor of hosting Stuart Schoenfeld. He is a partner at the law firm, Kappel, Barnett, Madelon, and Schoenfeld, with offices in New York and Florida. He specializes in elder law, state planning, asset preservation, Medicaid, and property transactions. He's a frequent speaker and a published author with a heart for giving back. Stuart, thanks for being here and welcome to the show.
2: Thank you very much. Happy to be
1: here. Yeah, let's have some fun. So I'm sure you have an interesting history Take me through just briefly uh, what led you to where you are today.
2: Well, I've been practicing for over 30 years. I'm not going to tell you how old I am. (laughs) But and in that time, you know, my practice has evolved. I've handled over the years a lot of very sophisticated and simple real estate and business transactions. But in recent years, I migrated towards developing an elder care practice. I've always done wills. I've always handled the state administration. But in recent years, I've really enjoyed the elder care practice and dealing with folks with special needs. Uh, one of the things that encouraged me there is I happen to have a child with special needs. so I've watched her grow up and and her needs change and, and, and how important it is to deal with the legal issues, both people who are developmentally disabled or elderly deal with the issues that they face.
1: Okay, that's great. And we're going to get into that a little bit later. We're going to talk about that in a little more detail. If you could go back and talk to the younger you, Stuart, give that person some advice, what do you think you would tell them? So something you wish you knew back then that you know now?
2: Well, I'm not, a, of course, a financial planner. But of course, I would tell my younger self, Let's everybody should make sure they plan for uh, okay. age better financially. But putting that aside as an attorney, the thing that you know, young people need to know. And what I would tell myself is we have to do all the legal planning, you know, legal planning that folks need changes as they get older. You know, when they're young and they don't have a family, it's it's fairly simple. They may just have parents or siblings. But once you start to have a family and you have young kids, what's going to happen with them? Who's going to take care of them? You have to make that statement in some way. I could tell you a little secret about practicing law is that we do the best when folks don't plan financially. If people don't plan and then something happens, that's when it costs a lot of money to get things fixed up. And I could tell you, you know, one thing is that most folks, many folks think, God, oh, nothing's going to happen to me. I'm just going to get old and, and everything's going to be great. But what happens is stuff happens to everybody. And that's why it's so important to plan and have, have things in place.
1: Yeah, I agree. That's well said. So is there Something you like, especially uh, right now about your practice, Uh, a particular something, maybe it's an area of expertise, you kind of highlighted that, but is there anything you're really liking about your practice right now?
2: What I like is, you know, I've, I've always been a people person in this. And, and I love a nice result. I love when we, when we have a, a thought process to address an issue, a concern a client has, and figure out a way to get a, a good resolution. You know, we're not, when I'm not a litigation attorney. You know, in litigation, a fight could go on for years of, of just motions and acrimony and, and just pushing this, this fight farther and farther. But for us, we have a problem and we want to find a solution. And um there's a, a tremendous gratification I have when we find that. I love uh, when I deal with a family with an elderly parent and, you know, we're helping to guide them through a very challenging time in their lives of getting care that the parents may need, or or protecting, preserving their assets, making sure there's money to support the care that they need for the rest of their lives. Or if you have one spouse who's not well, how are we going to protect the other spouse? So there's a lot. I, I'm very gratified when we can find good solutions or good plans. That's what gives me the the, the strength to move forward in my practice. Who's got the patience for that litigation stuff anyway? Not me. <laughs>
1: that takes a special type of person.
2: Not me. You know, okay. I, I'm involved with, you know, I still, of course, get involved with them because my right. clients litigate and yeah. I, I mean, I have clients where these fights mm-hmm. go on and on and, and it's it's just never ending, never end. Yeah.
1: Okay. Now you touched on something there and I, I wanted to ask, is there a common misconception that you think people have when it comes to either working with attorneys or or preparing for you know, their lives when it comes to a financial standpoint if when they come to an end from an estate. So is there a common misconception that you help people overcome when you're working with people initially?
2: There are misconceptions folks have about what the law is. You know, they read today, particularly they read a lot on online and they have a sort of understanding where they, ha- they think they have an understanding of of certain concepts and they come in with them and you have to first figure out what they are and dissuade them and explain to them, though that may not be the law. So that's that's kind of a, a common thread that runs through my practice, you know, about what happens. A lot of folks sometimes think that without proper planning, you know, everything goes to the state automatically. And that's really not The case, but it's and and similarly, in elder care, folks are think sometimes they can't do anything, they can't do planning. There's no way out. They hear something about a five-year penalty look back for coverage, and sometimes all those things stop them from going forward. They also the the other thing is some folks are so afraid to make a decision and so afraid to move forward, they're just tied up they can't we can't get them to even make a temporary decision then i say it could be changed okay and so the misconception there is that wait you know you don't have to have everything figured out come to me we'll help you fill it out figure it out
1: yeah we'll get there yeah they have that what is it called paralysis of analysis yeah and i often find that uh You know, the people have a tough time figuring out the difference between knowledge and wisdom. So you can find anything on the Internet, look anything up, read about it. But how does it actually apply to you or does it apply to you at all? And is this the tactic that that should be employed, given everything about your situation? Um, There's not there's a lot of knowledge on the Internet, but not a lot of wisdom. So. Let's jump into some of the things that you have specialties in. So just for for our listeners, can you tell me what the difference is between elder care and estate
2: planning? Sure. So, I'll just say this to start. Many elder care attorneys do estate planning, but many right. estate planning attorneys don't do elder care. And mm-hmm. so So with elder care, we're focusing on two other things. How do I protect my assets? Should I need long-term care, which can be at home, which can be in a facility like an assisted living facility or a nursing home? And if I need that care, how am I going to pay for it? And that's the different focus of elder care. Is focusing more on my care needs as I get older. And what I would like to add is that you know folks today are living longer. When I started doing this practice, people were in their early 70s, were then thinking, "Gee, any day now I could need this care." But now I get clients who are coming to me in their 90s, and say, "Gee, I I uh, I need to do planning." And I say, "Well, you're a little late to the game, but let's get going." You know, right? Uh, and so it's those are the two dimensions that get added on. What's Makes it interesting is that we have to deal with a whole set of different people. So we may have to deal with geriatric care managers when we're dealing with getting care in place. We may have to help them talk about who's going to come in, nurses, aides. Deal with, so we deal with agencies, who's going to pay your bills. So there's a whole different set of issues that you deal with as an elder care returning.
1: I think of it almost in terms of the elder care is focused more on what could happen while you're living. Right. The estate, planning, the estate
2: planning is focused more on how do you want things to go when you're gone? Right? right. You know, the estate planning is really the best way I would like, I would express it is it's about a smooth transition of assets yeah. and, right. and resources. You know, how do I get it to my loved ones? How do I not yeah. pay taxes? But the elder care is how am I dealing with my needs or my spouse's needs as. I get older. All my loved ones, you know, it's the same thing. We also, you know, practice in the area of special needs. How are we going to pay for that child who has special needs while they're alive?
1: Yeah, and let's, that's a great segue, Stuart. I want to tra- so I want to transition to that. So t- let's talk about the unique challenges that arise when you're assisting someone maybe who's chronically ill or development delayed, where you're using some of those special needs tactics. I know it's something that you're passionate about because you have experience with it.
2: Yes, I'm very passionate about it because, as I, as I mentioned earlier, I have a, a family member, a daughter who has Down syndrome. And all these years doing estate planning for folks, um, it's been of, of great importance to me. You know, a lot of folks come in to do planning. They're elderly, maybe they're 70, they're 80. and now And they still have their adult disabled child living with them. And I say to them, well, what are you planning on doing with this child? You know, he or she deserves a life. They've got to have a life and you're not going to be here forever. And so the question becomes, A, where are they going to live when mom and dad or whoever they're living with is gone? Where are they going to be? And B, how are they going to support themselves? And those are big, important questions. And I could tell you that in a lot of states and a lot of places in the United States, the resources to provide uh, residential opportunities is less than it used to be. You can't start this at the last minute. It's something that you've got to start much earlier when you're younger and they are younger. But the other part of it is, how do we give that disabled adult a quality of life, without jeopardizing their ability to get government aid. Now, most of these programs that they may be on, they may be on SSI, they may be in a, a residential, some sort of uh, residential arrangement. All of those things depend on government programs. If, if you have a de- developmentally disabled child, they're going to be in a maybe a day hair program or a job training program. All of those things are supported through government programs like Medicaid. But Medicaid and SSI, have limitations as to how much assets you could have and how much savings you could have. So the goal of the planning is to give this adult or child the quality of life that they deserve.
1: So what are some common tactics? Because you bring that up. That's kind of like a little puzzle you have to solve, right? With yeah. them being able to qualify for that stuff. So without getting you know too far into the weeds, is there some common tactics that are employed or uh, as planning tactics that you use to do that?
2: Sure. So the most common tactic is the supplemental needs trust that that the tactic that you will oftentimes see. And what that is, is a trust that you can create through your will, or you can create a trust that starts during your becomes effective during your lifetime. And that trust, whatever goes into that trust, can be used for the benefit of the disabled individual. And, and If it's in that trust and the trust has the magic words from the statute, essentially, that money will not be considered as a resource uh, for that disabled individual. So that's a great planning technique. There are other techniques. For example, there's an ABLE account, which is now available throughout the United States, operates very much like a a special needs trust. Uh, Same thing. It, It is does escape. It's not included Uh, when you think about eligibility, so that's a great way, you know, think about that, that individual who's getting, you know, in a group home or, or, and, and he or she, they want a dog or they want to travel and visit family, um, or they want to get a new, I, you know, an iPhone or anything like that. These are, they can have all these things. They can have these things that make, give them good quality to their life. Through the use of, the, of either SNT, a supplemental needs trust, or the able account, all great techniques.
1: Okay, now just for clarification, is the supplemental needs trust is that the same thing as a special needs trust, or are they is there is there a difference?
2: They're slightly different. Okay. Um, yeah, there's so there's. The names are really, I, I find, used interchangeably, but, okay. but generally what we think of is this. A supplemental needs trust or a third-party supplemental needs trust is when somebody leaves a bequest or assets or, or money to a disabled individual. So the assets are coming from a third party for the benefit of the disabled individual. The, the, this, what I always thought of the special needs or the, the first party is assets that belong to the disabled individual. So if that disabled individual um, has some money in the bank, one way to get eligible is to put that into the SNT, the special needs trust. There is, a, there is a slight difference between the way they handled uh, legally in that the third party, when the disabled individual Uh, passes away, whatever's left in the trust can be left to other beneficiaries, can be left to other children, relatives, friends, charities. On the other hand, uh, whatever's in a first party SNT uh, end up going back to the state to reimburse Medicaid for what they've paid on behalf of the disabled individuals. So it's always nicer if we can use the third party.
1: Okay. All right. Thank you for that distinction. And that could potentially be really important for certain families depending on what they want to do. Okay, so well, you
2: I, go ahead. Yeah, I just want to add, you know, imagine, so for example, if a disabled individual was involved in a lawsuit and got uh, recovered some money from that lawsuit, that would have to go into a first party SNT. Yep, to the
1: pain to them. Okay, so you mentioned you mentioned that word Medicaid. So just just for the audience, because um, everybody gets all confused about this, what's the difference between Medicare and Medicaid? Because they sound very similar, right? So, can you clear
2: that up for us? Sure, sure. So, most folks know Medicare as really a, a, a medical insurance plan mm-hmm. that usually folks, whatever it is, sixty-five years old can qualify for, and it usually pays hospitalization and doctors and and uh, and uh, drugs. And that's what it—that's what it's for. But you notice it's a medical plan. It's a medical plan, and as Folks need services, for example, as they get older, they need something different. They need custodial care. They need help getting up or walking or eating or toileting. In other words, what's known as activities of daily living. Medicare is not intended and not designed really to pay for those services. Medicaid is the insurer of last resort. So Medicaid is set up to pay for those services. One uh, one important difference is that Medicare you work, you pay your taxes all those years, you you can qualify automatically for Medicare. It doesn't matter what your income is, doesn't matter what you are, uh, what your resources are, but Medicaid is a program that has these gates to get through them. You have to qualify in terms of resources and income
1: Okay, good segue. So I want uh, could you walk us through on a high level, those gates, right, that people have to go through when someone must apply or or go on Medicaid? So there's some qualifications for those. And that's where you always hear the people talking about, oh, I have to spend down my assets or I had to do this or I had to do that. So what are some what are those common gates that people go through?
2: So the basic rule is that medicaid in most states has what's called a look back okay and the look back is what that means is that medicaid does not want you giving away money so that you can qualify for medicaid so for example in most states if somebody is going into a nursing home, Medicaid will have a five-year look back, meaning they'll say, show us all of your banking records, all your financial records, and, and if they see any withdrawals or they or they see any deposits, usually over a certain number, they want to know what they are. It's okay to pay bills, it's okay to pay your rent, but if you gave a, a sizable gift um, to, to one of your loved ones, Medicaid may say, no, that's no good, and they may impose a penalty. Now, Everybody should understand this. In different states, there are different rules. Uh, here in New York, where I live, it's New York has very favorable rules. And actually, up until recently, there was no look back if somebody needed home care, meaning somebody to come into the house and take care of them. It's also important to know that there are a lot of exemptions. Your house may have an exemption. Um, If you're living in it, for example, in some states, uh, retirement assets like IRAs are protected. So what's really important is not to say, oh, this is what I saw online. I have to wait till everything is spent down. What's important is you go to an attorney who's experienced in this area and say, what should we do? Because frequently we're able to protect uh, a lot of resources.
1: That's a point that should not be discounted where you might go and read something and and just throw up your hands and say, well, you know, there's nothing I can do. But a lot of those exemptions and how they apply and when they apply, someone who has an expertise there can really help help out. Okay.
2: Yeah. And if I just say I can't tell you, I can't tell you how many times clients have come into my office and they say, well, I didn't come to you sooner because I thought I had to spend all my money and, and they're down to nothing. And I say, wait, why didn't you come to me two years ago? We could have protected this money. And it's good to protect that money because you then protect your quality of life, yep. you know. Right. And also, if it's, a, if it's a couple, if you're going to go with that thought process and say, well, I got to spend everything down, you're not protecting your spouse who may need to have resources available also. Yeah.
1: Right, yeah, because they're still going to be around if you were to die prematurely and that puts right. them in a really bad situation. Okay, right. thank you for that. That's that's really good explanation on that, um, cleared that up. So let's switch gears to another area kind of in your practice of expertise. I'm curious if you could share with us some of the pitfalls that you see commonly when it comes to buying or selling like investment properties or even businesses.
2: Well, buying investment property... The first thing I I guess I'll say with businesses Mm -hmm. is this, you know, when you buy a business and I'm not uh, qualified to advise a client as to what the price should be. That's not my love, my expertise But I will say this. When you buy a business, so many of my clients say, "Mm, this is what I'm going to pay for the business because I'm going to do so much to it. I'm going to add so much. Uh, so many positive things to this, benefit, to this business. And I say to them, well, that's great. Are you, are you paying for that now? Are you paying for that because of your potential? If you're doing that, that's wrong because you're only paying for the business as it exists today. You, you shouldn't be paying for what you're going to bring to the table uh, down the road. So that's one pitfall I see in folks uh, when they buy a business. I, I think that um, the pitfall I see is that a lot of them, particularly in this climate, you know, don't understand things as well as they should. You know, I don't think business is the same. I don't think it's as easy as it was, as it once was. And, you know, for example, who would have thought, you know, before COVID that suddenly, for example, people for a while would stop going to work outside of their home, you know? And if you bought a business, which depends on folks walking down the street and seeing your store in a busy area, you know, you may have some trouble. So it's yep. important to understand your 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 marketplace and your your customers. It's important to have a good sense of what's gonna happen and to really understand the numbers. You must have a good team, you know. You have to have an accountant who understands it and can give you some projections, and make sure you have a good attorney that protects you. I see a lot of attorneys who handle small mom and pop businesses, and they really don't always understand. It. They use a set, one set of documents and, and they're not really customized or, or done properly for the client. And
1: that, I think it's a great analogy you use uh, with the person uh, placing a value on the business based on what they're going to do. It kind of would be like if I said, well, here's what I'm willing to pay for this house because I'm going to make all these improvements to the house after I buy it it'll be worth that, so that's what I'm going to pay. It doesn't make any sense, right?
2: it's Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. We see, I see it all the time with businesses and and people speak that way. And I say, you know, and you're right. It is the same, even even with real estate. Sure. Right. right.
1: Okay. So, staying on that business owner thing, just in real layman's terms, if we have some business owner listeners, explain um, simply what a buy sell agreement is, sure, and
2: and why they are why those are important. So in a business, if you have a partner or partners, Mm -hmm. it's really important to have certain things set forth in writing. For example, who's going to, you know, while we're both running this business, what happens if we need to put in more cash? We should address that issue. Are we both going to immediately go into our pockets? Who's going to be the president? Who's going to be the secretary treasurer? Who's going to be manning the books? Who is going to be doing what? That What everybody's function is should be set down. What happens if one of us wants to leave the business? What if one of us wants to die? I love you, my partner, but I really can't stand your spouse. I don't want to be partners with him or her. So these are the types of issues that you deal with in a buy-sell. If I die, what are you going to pay for my shares? Are you going to pay for my shares in, in the business? These are all things that we tackle. And, it's a, and one pitfall I see that I should mention is that everybody has to know it's a living document, that you need to look at it. What most people do in small mom-and-pop type businesses, they take the agreement and they throw it in the drawer after it's done, and they say, great, it's done. We never have to think about it again. And then it turns out years later that what was said in the agreement doesn't work anymore. And, um, you know, we just had a meeting amongst my partners and, and colleagues in my office because a, an IRS uh, case came down. The case isn't important, but it very much affects buy-sell agreements. And the point I want to make is it just that's a reason why we need to look at these agreements from time to time, because we have to make sure they comply with these changes in the law and changes in circumstances. You know, maybe I hated your spouse, but now I'm like, OK, you know, she's not so bad. Now I wouldn't mind working with her.
1: Right. And I think the other important thing is the, the sooner that those things can be talked about and how you're going to deal with them in, in, the, in the life of the business, the, the better because as those things arise, I've even experienced that with our business where we talked about all that stuff when we formed the company, thinking that none of it would ever happen. Then some of those things occurred and we could go back to our documents and say, OK, well, here's how we had agreed we were going right. to address it when that happened. Because um, everybody gets along until you start making a bunch of money. Right. And get then, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, then all the sometimes all bets are off. Right. Right. That starts happening. So it's better to have those things agreed to in
2: advance um, with the well, you agreements. Yeah. <laughs> and that's always the best thing. You could just look back, but you don't want to have a document that you produced years ago that really doesn't work anymore. Right. But yeah. But. It's so important, and, and like estate planning, just because you don't have all the decisions made, you shouldn't make some decision. You could go back and, and sharpen the pencils and focus on it again and make it better, but start and get something done.
1: Okay, so let's switch gears. Um, outside of your practice, can you tell me something that you are really passionate about personally?
2: I'm I'm passionate about my family, of course. I'm passionate about I've you know enjoyed being involved with different organizations. I've been on boards of directors of not for profits, usually in the past, helping uh, folks with developmental disabilities. Now I'm on the board of of here in Long Island, the the LGBT network. So I've gotten a lot of gratification from getting out there in the community and and, you know helping folks. Um, That's always been something that I've really enjoyed. That's awesome.
1: Okay. And let's thinking about the future, Stuart, what do you kind of see as the biggest opportunity in the future of your, of your practice for you?
2: You know, I've always been of the mindset, you know, that when things change, laws change and, and, and my colleagues and I are like, Oh my God, what's going to happen to this area of the practice, it frequently opens up other opportunities. Um, you know, there's certainly going to be changes in laws that's going to change planning. Uh, we were very uh, nervous in our office about some potential tax uh, changes to the state tax. Scheme the planning. Last year, we had a tremendous number of clients come in to update plans. Uh, every year, there are changes in, el- in elder care laws and laws dealing with folks with special needs. So those are going to continue to create opportunity. But it's because it's going to evolve because now we have clients that are coming in with with dig- you know digital assets, other types of things, and so there's always it's always going in different directions. I think as governments. Besides taxes in the elder care area, as governments always seem to be short on cash, they're tying up rules. And so we have to jump through different hoops in order to get care and, and uh, services for our clients. So there's always it's always evolving and we just have to keep evolving with it. Yeah, you can be certain if the government's involved in any way in the
1: influence on the planning that yeah. you do, that there will always be things that will change. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. OK, now maybe on the on the flip side of that question, um, what do you think maybe is a, a big challenge that's facing the business or the practice right now
2: that is yet
1: to be overcome?
2: My law practice? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I see that. Well, and recently we've been expanding okay. and here. And, and as you mentioned earlier, we opened up a Florida office. The job market has been very tight. The you know, hiring, you know, we, we the way we run our practice is we try to bring people up. We hire young associates and we try to make them our future partners. But you know, we have to as as I become and am now one of the old guys in the office. You know, we have to understand that the younger folks look at things differently, and we have to understand how their needs change, and their wants, and what they're looking for in a career. Not all of them want to. You know, we we've tra- traditionally been of the mindset that we're here. We 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 collaborate. We walk around. We yell and scream. We talk about files and and analyze things together. But now a lot of folks want to work from home. They don't always want to be face to face. They want to move around more. You know, when I started out, everybody, if you're a lawyer, you know, you went to a firm, you stayed there for usually for a certain number of years. Then you hope to move up the ladder. But the younger generation today is is really they're moving around more. Maybe they don't want to be a partner. Maybe that's not how they they see their future. We have to understand them. A little bit. And I see that as a, a challenge. Of course, the other challenge is being able to provide the services reasonably, um, give a good value without causing our clients to uh, break their bank. You know, we have to do it fairly and, and uh, reasonably.
1: All right. And can you think of anything during our conversation that you wanted to clarify? Or is there a question that maybe I asked you that I should have that I didn't?
2: No, I, I guess, well, the one thing I would add is, and you brought up, you know, challenges of, of being an attorney, you know, make sure when whatever you're doing, whether it's buying a business or a house or a piece of a commercial property or doing your planning, you know, I always talk about choosing the right attorney. Don't choose an attorney based on price alone. Price, of course, is something, but it's one thing. And, you know, different attorneys, you get the cheapest attorney on the street, and it's going to be probably that type of service. You may not get the right service. You may not get somebody who's really understanding the area or the understand the issues that you're facing. You know, if you have elder care issues, go to an attorney who understands elder care. If you have tax issues, go to an attorney that understands taxes and just don't shop based on price alone. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, that's okay for tire changes or getting your right. oil changed or something like that, but you would be able to use a coupon. But stuff that uh, involves high-level yeah. knowledge and complexity, you, you want the person person's exactly. expertise in that. Yeah, All right. yeah. Now, if people want to learn more about you, Stuart, or your practice or your firm, um, what's the best way for them to do that?
2: Well, you could certainly go to uh, our, our website, Okay, the name of the firm is above, Capel, Burnett, Manelon, and Schoenfeld. And of course, I'm always, you know, my policy throughout my career has always been, I'm always happy to get on a phone with with somebody and answer some questions and, and you could reach out to me uh, anytime.
1: Okay, you know, that's great. I, so if people if could go ideas, to the, yeah, people should go to the website to get your mm-hmm. contact information. Okay, perfect. All right, Stuart, listen, I want to thank you for taking the time to be here with me today. It's been a real pleasure. Very insightful, learned a lot. And I want to thank everybody for listening, watching, tuning in to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors, where we raise the retirement confidence of everyday people to another level, one show at a time. Thanks everybody for tuning in and listening. We'll see you next time. Be well, take care. Thanks, Stuart. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.